the truly righteous practice their religion to honor their Heavenly Father, not to impress others, not so that others think that we're super spiritual, but to honor God, to honor the Father. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Whose approval are you seeking? Who do you want to please? Why do you do your righteous deeds? Do you do them because you want others to see them and approve of them, be thought well of by them? Or do you want God to see them and God to be pleased by them? So what we're considering here today as we continue our series in the the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Looking at this theme here again of true righteousness as Jesus is teaching us from the Sermon on the Mount. True righteousness, that is moral rightness, goodness, holiness. It is God's perfection in every thought, every attitude, every word, every deed. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? And yet that's what God is calling us to, and he knows we're never going to attain that perfectly here and now. One day we will in his presence, but he calls us then to conformity to him in every thought, every attitude, every word, every deed. And it is a quality from within that is expressed outwardly then in our deeds. Now, of course, if you asked a person and Jesus' day, well, what's a righteous person like? The average person would have said, well, the Pharisees, the, the Pharisees, they're, they're righteous people. But they were far from it, weren't they? Their idea of righteousness was outward. It was a legalistic conformity to the law while they neglected the heart and the spirit of the law and there was no inner purity of heart. They were motivated by pride, and self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, and Jesus called them hypocrites or play actors. A hypocrite is a term from the, the theater where you would put a mask on to play a role or a part, and that's what they would do. They would put a, a mask on to play the role of the righteous person, when in reality they were far from it. But Jesus says righteousness, though, is conformity with the heart and the law of God from within as well as from without, an inner conformity of the heart to the law of God, which results to an, with an outward conformity to the law then. And it comes only when we first admit our insufficiency, that we are poor in spirit, that we're morally bankrupt, that we need a Savior. And righteousness then is a gift. It is a gift that is given to us by faith. So continuing our series here then today, Unique, the Life, the Death, and the Resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are looking at this ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been using this resource by John MacArthur called One Perfect Life, which is a wonderful, he does a wonderful job of harmonizing the gospel accounts of the life of Christ into one flowing chronological account. I think you'll, uh, you would love it. If you haven't picked up that, I'd recommend it to you to go through and just read through the story of the ministry of the life 
and the death and the resurrection of Jesus with all of those accounts put together in one chronological order there with that. Today, then, we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. We're here, Jesus is addressing the issue of true righteousness and practical religion. That is, the things that we do that others can see, or should they see some of these, perhaps? What I want us to see, then, is this, that the truly righteous, the truly righteous practice their religion to honor their Heavenly Father, not to impress others, not so that others think that we're super spiritual, but to honor God, to honor the Father then. Before we look at our text, today is the third. Today is the third of six messages in the Sermon on the Mount. And the central theme, as we have seen of this sermon, is true righteousness, how God defines it, and the life that he is calling you and me to live as followers of Jesus. God requires absolute perfection. And of course, we are incapable of that ourselves. And this sermon then ultimately points us then to our need for a Savior. So Jesus has shown us then not to emulate, not to imitate the twisted teachings of the Pharisees. And now he is telling us to examine their deeds, their hypocritical deeds, and not to be like that. So let's look then, starting in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. So here is I want us to see in our text here today, qualities of the truly righteous regarding giving, praying, and fasting. Qualities of the truly righteous regarding giving, praying, and fasting. First off, the truly righteous give secretly. The truly righteous give secretly, and they will receive the Father's reward openly. I think there's a critical thing for us to understand here today, and in the following verses, is that what Jesus is dealing with here, fundamentally, is our motivation. It's the motivation for public acts of righteousness. Do we do these things in order to be seen by others and to gain their favor and approval? Or do we do these things because not because we want others to see it, but because we want to please our Heavenly Father? And that is what God rewards then. Understand then, Jesus is not condemning doing good that others will see. Don't misunderstand. Say, Jesus says, all the good that you do, 
Everything has to be in secret, and nobody can know about it. Only God can know about it. Now, he's condemning an attitude, a motivation that says, I want to do these things so others see me. Because, in fact, we are commanded to let our light shine, aren't we? So that others will see our good deeds and give glory to God. And that's the point. Give glory to God, not to us. And that is the issue. So Jesus isn't saying, don't let anyone see you do something righteous. We do want people to see that, but not for our glory, for God's glory. So our motivation then in all that we do must be the glory and the honor of God. You know, there was a time in, 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 our, in our country here when going to church was something that a lot, a lot more people went to church than do these days. And people, oftentimes, they would go to church in order to be seen. It was something a respectable person did. And you did that in order to be seen there and to perhaps to form their relationships and maybe even business relationships that you would get from that. It was all part of being a respectable person. You would go to church to be seen. Well, here Jesus is talking about folks who were doing things like that in order to be seen doing them, to be respectable, to be thought righteous. But our motivation must not be that. It must not be human acclaim, but it must be God's acclaim, God's approval, God's favor. So he says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. And Jesus first takes up this giving, this charitable giving. In other words, that one's acts, the things that we do, should not be demonstrated before others in order to get their reward, but rather we should do these things in order to receive God's reward. And the Pharisees like to make a great show of their giving to the needy, because in doing so, they think they thought that they were proving how righteous they were. And so what they would do, they would go into the temple. Jesus says, do not sound a trumpet before you. I think what he is saying there is, is when one would go into the temple to give your offering, their financial giving, they would put coins in it. There was a chest, the temple chest there. And there was a large uh, device there where you would, put, you would put your coins in it, a metal piece, and it had a large opening in this metal piece. And then it was like a funnel that would go down into the chest there. And so you, there was lots of room to put the coins in there, and then it would funnel down into the chest there. And uh, in order to prevent uh, or to help uh, keep people from stealing, you know, because you couldn't get your hand in there because of the way it narrowed down there. And so what would people do? The, the hypocrites, they would take their coins and they would make quite a show of it, making sure, rattling around, throwing at heart, making sure that it was making quite a noise when they did that so everyone could see, look how much I'm giving. Listen to all this rattling. Look at how much I am giving here, right? So it was like sounding the trumpet, 
Was that is that's what Jesus is referring to when he says this. It'd be a little bit like, uh, remember back in the days when we used to pass an offering plate? I know we've got it in the back there now. But remember we used to pass an offering plate and you'd go through and, and you'd put your offering and you'd pass it down from prison. It'd be like someone today, you know, giving an offering and uh, as, as an offering plate were to go by. Or maybe even going back there, there and saying, okay, hold on just a minute here. Let me get this out. Let's see. And taking out their cash and then just say, let's see, there's... Uh, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, 8, 9, 1,000. 1,000! There it is. Okay. Right? How many of you are saying, given $1,000? Wow. Okay. All right. But, but that's what they would do. That was the functional equivalent of sounding the trumpet. They wanted everything. Look how much I'm giving. And Jesus tells them, he says, they have their reward. What was their reward? Human acclaim. He's like, wow, look at that. And Jesus says, they have their reward, and you know what? That's all they're getting. But God says what? Eh, He's not impressed. He's not impressed with that. So Jesus says, "What? Well, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So the truly righteous then, they don't give in order to be seen giving. They give quietly, secretly in order to please God. And those who do that, God who sees in secret will reward openly. You know, the day is coming when God is going to reward his people for all the good that they have done. That which was done for God's glory, to honor him. And it will be rewarded openly. Everyone's going to see God's reward for you for your righteous deeds. So give not to impress others, but to please God. It says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you... When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the truly righteous, they give secretly and will receive the Father's reward openly. They also, they pray secretly and will receive the Father's reward openly. You know, the the Pharisees love to perform public prayer. And once again, by the way, is Jesus condemning public prayer? Is he saying, you should never pray out loud in front of other people? No, he's not saying. What What is he condemning? Making a show of it for others to see. In fact, we're commanded, aren't we, to pray together, to pray out loud together. So he's not condemning that. He's condemning this attitude of doing it, it's motivation again, doing it to be seen by others, to be perceived as righteous or super spiritual. So he says, so don't be like that. Don't have that kind of attitude. Have this attitude of praying secretly between you and God, going to a quiet place, closing the door. Once again, he says, you know, those, they would make a show. What would the Pharisees do? They would stand up in the synagogue and they would begin their prayers, making sure that everyone could see that they are praying. They would even go out in the streets because they had several times a day when they would pray. And it's like, well, it's time for prayer. They'd look at their watch. Okay, maybe they didn't look at their watch, but they knew what time it was anyway, right? And they knew it was time to pray. And so they'd stand there on the street corner making sure that everyone saw them and heard them praying because they were so righteous, so spiritual. But Jesus says, don't be like that. Pray privately, secretly. Now the Pharisees, they have their reward. They have their reward. What's their reward? But God will reward eternally those who do that which honors him today. And they would often, when they would pray then too, they would engage in long, repetitive phrases. And they would include even sometimes gibberish that was thought to have some sort of power. You thought the more they'd say it, the more they'd repeat it. It was like an attitude of the heathens, thinking that if I just keep saying this, that, some, that God is going to hear and God is going to grant, God is going to do this. If I just keep repeating it and I keep saying it and 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 saying it. Okay, did you get the point there with that? And saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. Don't be like that. In fact, Jesus says, you know, your father already knows what you need before you pray. You don't need to keep repeating it. In fact, actually, technically, we don't even need to say it the first time because he already knows, right? So why does he want to say say it at all? To bring it out of us, to acknowledge it before him and to work in us, in our hearts. And so Jesus then gives instruction then And he gives us here what is often called the Lord's Prayer. It's been said, you know, really, we probably shouldn't call this the Lord's Prayer. We might accurately, more accurately call it the Disciples' Prayer. Why should we not call this the Lord's Prayer? This is something that Jesus would not pray in its entirety. 
He himself would not pray this, this prayer ever in its entirety. Why? Because of sin. It says, forgive us our sins. Would Jesus ever need to say to the Father, forgive me my sins? No, he wouldn't. So really, it's a prayer for disciples. It's for us to pray, then, the disciples' prayer. You know, there's an irony in this, too. That in, when Jesus told people to pray, he said, pray like this. He didn't say, take these words and repeat them verbatim, mindlessly for centuries later, right? Isn't it? But we've kind of done the opposite with it. Jesus was giving us a model for how we ought to pray. Pray like this. Pray these kinds of prayers. And by the way, before we go, you think I'm going, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer because we all do that, right? We've all said, let us all pray. Our Father who art in heaven. How many of you, when I was reading that in the text, you were in your head, you were saying it because you have said it many times, right? We've all said it many times. And I'm not saying it's wrong for us to pray that and to pray those words. But what would be wrong, what, is if we are just, what, mindlessly repeating them without really thinking about what we're doing, which is ironic then because what Jesus was saying, don't just mindlessly repeat stuff. Pray things like this from the heart. And so what are some of these things that we see in this prayer? Well, I think this prayer contains a number of elements. We don't have time to go into detail in all of these things here today, but here's what I want us to see. Here are some of the elements. Here are the kinds of things Jesus says when you pray. Instead of this mindless repetition of stuff and, and that, but rather pray from the heart about things like this. Number one, you see an attitude of worship in there, don't you? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. You see, worship, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Reverence, worship and reverence for God is a part of prayer. You also then see a a desire for God's kingdom to come. Your kingdom come. That's what, that is aligning our wills, our hearts, our expectations with the rule and the reign of God over all things. In fact, he even says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Is there any hemming and hawing and uh, uncertainty? No, what it is sure, swift, and immediate, isn't it? He's saying, may your will be done here on earth, just like it's done in heaven. May your will be done. Isn't that, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for us to pray, really? I know it can be hard, but say, God, may, may I do your will the way the angels do in heaven. Just what? Immediate, wholeheartedly. So there's worship. There's reverence. There's a desire. It's aligning our hearts and our minds and our wills with God's kingdom. A request that God's will be accomplished today fully and willingly. A request for meeting our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Those are our needs, like acknowledging that and saying, God, supply. Asking God to supply that. But notice it says, give us our our daily bread. Asking for the things that we need today. Not tomorrow's provision or next year's, but today. Trusting him today to meet our need today. 
A request then regarding spiritual needs, forgiveness. Here's the part that Jesus would never pray, right? Forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, who sin against us. Forgiveness, extending forgiveness, asking God for forgiveness, extending that forgiveness to others. It's interesting here that this the forgiveness that Jesus has in mind here is not what we would call the, the forgiveness of salvation, of, of forgiving of our sins so that we might be justified before God and have forgiveness and eternal life. This is what that everyday kind of forgiveness, that when we believe in Christ, we trust in him, all of our sins are forgiven, aren't they? And we have forgiveness and eternal life. And yet, Scripture tells us, though, to, con- to still confess our sins and ask God's forgiveness. Well, why do we need to do that if they've already been forgiven in Christ? Well, because when we put our trust in Christ, that is a once-for-all time choice in which there is forgiveness of our sins for the purpose of our destiny, our eternal destiny. But this kind of thing is, is nevertheless, we then enter into relationship with God, and there are sins, there are things that that harm or impede our intimacy with God, our fellowship, our daily walk with God. These are the things that need to be confessed and forgiven so that our intimacy with God is not harmed. So he's saying, God, forgive us our sins, these things that I have done that displease you, that harm my walk with you, that interfere with in my relationship with you, that, 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 that harm my witness, that keep me, Lord, from, from pleasing you in all that I do and say. But interestingly, there's an implication. It says it implies, forgive us our sins as we do what? As we forgive others their sin. Just like we need to keep accounts clear with God we need to do the same with others. And if we expect God to forgive us our sins when we sin against him, then we need to do what? Forgive others when they sin against us. In fact, there's even a a warning there saying what? If you forgive men their trespasses, your father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Our failure to forgive others their sin interferes with our relationship with God then, doesn't it? God has an issue with that when we refuse to forgive others. So we see worship, reverence for God, aligning our hearts with God's kingdom, his will to be done, meeting our daily needs, our spiritual needs like forgiveness, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. But then also recognizing our spiritual weakness as we pray for deliverance from temptation to evil. But deliver us, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So these are some of the elements of this prayer. And again, not something to be repeated mindlessly the way perhaps we often do but as an expression of the heart. Finally then, he says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So the truly righteous, they give secretly and will receive the Father's reward openly. They pray secretly and will receive the Father's reward openly. And then two, they fast. They fast secretly and will receive the Father's reward openly. You know, the Pharisees, again, they love to fast so that others would see them and think them spiritual. Now, in the law of God, God commanded his people to fast once, once a year on the Day of Atonement. They were to fast. But, they could, but there were other times, though, when they could fast as well. It wasn't commanded. He didn't say, okay, you have to fast these number of times. Right? But it said that this is something that we should do. And by the way, often does this is probably one of the more neglected spiritual disciplines is this. And yet Jesus expects that his people will fast. Uh, I've mentioned this before. I'll, I'll, I'll say it again here. There's a, there's a wonderful book on the biblical spiritual disciplines. It's called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Purpose of Godliness by Donald Whitney. Donald Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines. Excellent resource in that that takes us through these tools that God has given us in order to grow in our relationship with with Christ and in godliness and Christ-likeness. And one of those tools, which is often not used, (laughs) is fasting. And there's a wonderful chapter in that book that talks about it, that explains it, explains the different purposes for it. I got to tell you, you may think, uh, you may think, um, I don't know. I, I've, it's, many of us have never even done it. And you might think you think miserable thoughts when you think of fasting, okay? But I tell you, you read that chapter, you'll get excited about it. You'll get excited about it, and you're going to want to do that, okay? But here, though, then, the Pharisees, they would fast because, again, they wanted others to see them and be impressed by them. And so when they would do so, what would they do? They would want to make it, they, they would do this like twice a week. Boy, that, those are some spiritual people, right? They would fast twice a week. Some of us haven't fasted twice in our entire lifetimes probably, right? But they would fast twice a week. But when they do, they wanted to make sure everybody knew. So what would they do? They'd actually they'd put ashes on their face and they'd, and they'd get this sad look on their face, right? They'd put a sad count, they'd go around like, oh, oh, and just looking all drawn and haggard. And they wouldn't put oil in their hair. It'd be, be the equivalent of what, what? We don't take a shower, don't put on any clean clothes. We just put dirt on our face and just look so sad, And they would do that so that people knew they were fasting because they were so spiritual. But Jesus says, don't don't do that. Don't draw attention to yourself like that. But when you do what? Anoint your head and wash your face. Take a shower. Put your deodorant on. And don't let anybody know. Anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. 
and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So fasting can serve many good purposes, but it should never be done so that others, so that make sure that others know about it and can be impressed by us. But rather we do it to please God, to honor God, and God will reward that secret fast. He will reward it openly. I want us to reflect for just a moment on something that Jesus has been saying here about temporal human approval versus God's eternal approval. Temporal is what? Now, here and now. Temporal human approval versus God's eternal approval. Which would you rather have? Do you want people to see you and be impressed by you? Or do you want God to see you and be pleased with that? Because the reward for the first one is temporary, isn't it? Whereas the reward for the second is eternal, it's forever, and it's true reward. What motivates you to do what you do? Please others or please God? There is much more that can be said. I I just want to give some quick thoughts. And who gets a little, yeah, right, when I say quick thoughts? How many times have I said I got a quick thought for you? Okay. But this is, this is something very much worthy of a, of a whole series of messages, I know. But I just want to touch very briefly on this, on, again, on this motivation. Do you know that what you do right now matters for forever? It does. Sometimes we have this idea, well, well you know what? I'm saved. I, I, I've got faith in Christ. I'm going to go to heaven when I die, and I'm, I'm good. Uh, and, you know, what I do here and now it doesn't really matter because, hey, I'm going to heaven. We're all going to heaven. What's the difference? Well, the reality is is it does make a difference because God is going to reward forever the things that we do now that are pleasing to him. And folks, some of us are going to lose the reward we could have had because we neglected it here and now. So are we living for the here and the now or are we living for eternity? And what pleases God? I want to read a couple of scripture verses and then make a few <clears throat> brief comments. Right? Told in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. So we are always of good courage. Here Paul is talking about one day when we die, we'll go into the presence of the Lord. But he says, so we're, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That is, we're not in heaven with God. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home, listen to this, whether we are at home, that is, we're alive in these bodies, or away, we've died and we're in the presence of God, we make it what? Our aim to please Him. You realize that, you're, that, that when we are in heaven, we're still going to have the goal and the desire, actually more so, have the desire, what, to please God. We're going to have active lives. Heaven is not the great retirement. You know what? Oh, I'm done with my work now. When you go to heaven, we're just getting started with what we're going to do for God and God's glory. Our aim is to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
And speaking of that, in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Here, Paul uses a metaphor of a foundation, like you have a foundation for a building. And be careful how you, you build on that foundation. Well, our lives then, be careful how we build on the found, our foundation is Christ. Be careful how we build on the foundation of Christ. That was, be careful how we live our lives. What are we valuing? What are we doing? Why are we doing the things we're doing? Be careful about that. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's talking to believers about how we live our lives once we're saved. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It will be revealed. For the day, the day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. God is going to evaluate our lives. The judgment seat of Christ is not about our eternal destiny. That has been settled forever when we believed in Jesus. But it is about what we have done for God, for Christ, once we did believe how we lived our lives. Did we live for him or not? And he's going to evaluate all that. And all the good things, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, these things are going to receive God's reward. When the fire of judgment, the fire will test it. And the good things that, have, that were pleasing to him will be rewarded and then the wood, the hay, the straw, the nonsense, the sins, the stupid stuff, even the good things that were done with wrong motives, all of that's going to be burned away. The day will reveal it. It says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, loss of the reward, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Do you want to come through the judgment seat of Christ by the proverbial skin of your teeth with nothing but your salvation intact? Now, granted, I'd rather have that salvation than not have it, right? But wouldn't you rather be assured? Wouldn't you rather be like my friend Jeff, who I have no doubt is going to stand before that judgment and God is going to say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. By the way, I realized I got kind of a strange look here as I said this. When I said we used to beat Jeff up when he'd win, when he when he would win the debates, I meant that playful beat up, not actual beating up. You all understood that, right? Didn't actually beat him up. It was that guy playful beating up. That's what we did. And yes, I got beat up lots because I won a lot. What can I say? <laughs> so, poor uh, poor Steve though. Steve Dutton. He used to play football, you know, before he went to Moody, and. Uh, it took all of us to beat him up. Uh, and uh, fortunately, he didn't win many arguments. But uh, occasionally he did, and it took all of us to gang up on him to do it, you know, to win those. So. But the day is coming. Do you want to stand confidently before him, knowing that you have lived, you've honored him, and he will reward that? You know, there are, Many things, many things that he will reward. Remember I told you this is going to be a quick thought? How many of you knew that this was going to happen, right? 
Well, here's a, a quick, just a quick thought. I, I heard a great uh, message. It was an interview, actually, that Urban Lutzer, uh, the former pastor of Moody Church, gave uh, with uh, an apologist, John Ankerberg. And he was uh, talking about this issue of the judgment seat of Christ and, and eternal rewards. And, and he asked this question, what, what are some of the things that Jesus will be looking for in us at the judgment seat of Christ, how we have lived? And here, here are some of the things that he is looking for. Here are some of the things that he's going to reward us for. One is enduring injustice in his name. Two, our generosity with others, giving for, uh, to others. Three, our hospitality. Four, our faithfulness in spiritual disciplines. Five, our faithfulness in our vocation. Do you know that God is going to reward, Jesus is going to reward you for being faithful in your job, for doing your job well, working for him so as to please him? He's going to, he's going to reward that. Uh, six, loving the unlovable. Do you know he's going to reward that when you love someone who's hard to love? Seven, doctrinal integrity. You know he's going to reward you for holding firm to the faith, standing firm in, in his truth, holding on to the creed that we sang earlier today, right? Eight, investing in people. Not living for the things of this world, but investing in people, our relationships with people. Number nine, watching for Christ's return, being ready for him when he returns. And number 10, not everybody's favorite, but here it goes, suffering. And we suffer for him. He sees, he knows, he will remember that, he will reward that. So don't, let us not then do the things that we do to be seen by others, to be approved by others, but to be seen by God, to please him, and he will reward that. Well, so what? What do you want me to do? The truly righteous practice their religion to honor their heavenly father not to impress others, to honor God, not to impress others. So I'll conclude by just asking that question where we started. Whose approval do you seek? Who do you want to please? You want others to be impressed by you, or do you want your Heavenly Father to be pleased by you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that, that we in and ourselves, we cannot gain your approval or your favor. But you are gracious to us that you've given us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through faith in him, we stand before you justified, made right with you by faith. We've been given the gift of your righteousness and your holiness. And we've been given the promise that that one day in your presence we will experience in fullness that righteousness and that holiness that is ours in him. And so we pray, though, Lord, that until that day you've called us to walk with you in humble dependence, to be faithful to you, to do righteous deeds, not to be seen by others, but to please you as an expression of gratitude in our hearts, and a desire, Lord, to please you because you are worthy. And thank you, Lord, that that what we do in this life, it does matter, that you will remember all that we have done that honored you, and it will be reward. Even a 
cup of water given in your name will be remembered and rewarded. So Lord, may we live our lives then in such a way as to, as to please you and that we might stand confidently then before you at the judgment seat of Christ, knowing, Lord, that our sin has been washed away, cleansed by Jesus, but you want to reward us for what we have done that honored you. May we stand there confidently, Lord. Thank you that we can do this by your mighty power, by your spirit, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.